Grace, mercy, and peace to you in the name of God our Father. Amen. So, I was coming over today and I had in my, uh, in my hymnal bulletin from March 8th. I guess that was the last time we gathered. It's been a while. But I love seeing you guys here today. I love that we're worshiping today. I, you guys look like you're going to hold me up in a second. But it's just, it's awesome, right? And I feel like the luckiest person in here because I could take my mask off when I talk to you so I can breathe. It's exciting. You know, today we've been in the midst of this sermon series called No Fear, and we've been taking a look at just different things that are freaking us out during, not just this COVID thing, but during life, right? And, and I, just kind of to, to prep today's, though, I want to give you a bunch of headlines that I came across just this week. Uh, threat of recession, concern over pensions renewed, stocks remain volatile. I was thinking about that. If you're retired and, and, and even hear the threat of pensions, that's got to at least make you a little anxious. I was watching Dukes of Hazard with my girls. We've been binge-watching a bunch of old shows lately. And, and the whole reason Roscoe Pico train turned evil is because they voted out his pension, right? He had to figure out how to retire. That, that was the whole impetus behind why he went bad. Another one, 40.7 billion U.S. citizens have applied for unemployment. A lot of people out of work right now in growing numbers of people out of work. There's businesses that are concerned about staying open. There's um, it's, it's all sorts of things. And they're not all going out of work for the money, right? That's only going to last 12 weeks. They want to keep their jobs, almost everybody. Consumer corporate debt has doubled. Well, if you're out of work, you're using your credit card more just to try to get through this season, get through this time while you're not employed. People are buying less and staying home more. Well, uh, duh, right? People still haven't received, I just talked to this gal, the headline was still, people still haven't received stimulus checks because of some glitch or whatever. So I was just talking to somebody uh, a couple days ago that hasn't received their stimulus check yet. Taxes are coming due in July. Usually that was just an April kind of misery. Now it's a July sort of misery if you haven't got those done yet. I got mine into my guy by March something, but he still hasn't done them. But I think I got to like July 15th or July 1st. So, so, anyway, hopefully soon. Uh, and the last one was really disturbing. I mean, all these are very disturbing, so I don't want to minimize any of them. But the district president of the Southwest District of the Missouri Synod was having a conference call with, with a bunch of the pastors and he shared this troubling news that one out of five, 20% of the churches in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod will close their doors due to COVID-19. That's some 1,300 churches in the country because we have over like six to 7,000 churches, right? So, so when, when we talk today, we're going to talk about the fears associated with our finances, right? All that was a buildup. And it's not just that we're going through some of this time. Some of you, you're actually saving more money than you ever have before because the checks keep coming in and you can't go anywhere to spend it. Praise God if that's you, okay? But there's a lot of people in our country that are, are really worried. I talked to a gal in our congregation that's thinking she's going to lose her business. She tried to open up early just to see if she could save it, and she's not sure. There's other people that are worried about going back to work. There's other people, that, there's just a lot of concern when it comes to this area of finances. And for the rest of you guys, if you hear the pension talk, that's got to at least peak a little bit. <laughs> I think we're safe, but the reality is that it's always something that's on the back of our minds. So we're going to take a look at the fears associated with this financial world that we live in, right? The financial stresses and, and all the anxieties that have been there and, and maybe just be, are exacerbated right now. And then we're going to look at God's answer to those fears in his provision. It's really this whole idea as we've gone through each and every one of these fears is, do you believe that God's got you? 
Do you believe that he's able? Do you leave, believe that he can provide? Do you believe that he loves you? Do you believe all these things? If so, you can have peace in the midst of the storm, and that's what we'll talk about a little bit today. Because in the midst of all these fears that we've had in our country right now, in the midst of all the fears that we've had off and on throughout our lives, God gives one of the most incredible, amazing, all-encompassing promises ever in Scripture, and it's found in Philippians 4.19 when it comes to this issue. This is essentially God's guarantee when it comes to your finances. And he says this, God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Jesus Christ. Now, don't you love that? Now, that's a, to be honest, a passage we usually kind of blow right by, but it is a huge promise if you think about it. And so we're going to think about it just for a little bit today. I'm going to break it down a little bit because what does it say? It's, I mean, the verse is just packed. It says, first of all, God will, Right? It doesn't say that he might meet your needs or maybe if he gets around to it, if he's not busy next week, he'll get to your needs. No, he says he will. He's stating a fact. He's staking his reputation, his character on it. I will meet your needs, he says. Then he goes on and says, God will meet all. And then say he's going to meet some of your needs and not the other needs. He's going to meet all of your needs. Does that include your car payment? Yeah. Does that include braces, homes? Yes, yes. He says all your needs. I'm going to take care of you. If you need it, I'm going to provide it for you. Now, it doesn't say he's going to meet all your greeds. I was also talking to a parent the other day. Um, her adult son called and said, Hey, Mom, Dad, could you get me a golf cart? And I guess he lives in one of those communities where that would be helpful. And I just call Mom and Dad to see if they provide the golf cart for him. And, and, and I love the response. That the mom said, Well, son, would you consider that to be a need or a want? And he thought about it for a second. He says, I withdraw my request, right? Because he's got kids too. I think so often we just lose perspective, right? But I love that they were parenting even in their adult children, right? Teaching them a little bit between right and wrong. And so as a parent, just think about it. Do you give everything that your kids want to them when they ask? I hope you don't. That would be horrible, right? They would turn into huge spoiled brats. And why don't you give them everything that they want? I mean, you're a loving parent. You love your kids. That's because of that, isn't it? Because you love your kids, you want to teach them and to respect the things that they have. You don't want them to be a spoiled brat. You don't want them to be entitled. You want them to go out of the house with a, with a solid work ethic, with an understanding of, of, of what things cost, and an understanding that, that you earn the things that you make. You want them to have a clue when it comes to life, because if you send them out there without a clue, they're going to get hammered by life. It's one of life's gifts. It goes on and says this, I will meet all your needs according to his wealth, God's wealth, his riches. So it's not based on my assets. <laughs> Thank goodness for that, right? It's based on what God has. God never runs out of resources. And then he says, for you and Jesus Christ. And so this particular promise is one that's given only to Christians, only to believers. This is not a promise that's given to everybody in the world. God has not promised to meet everybody's needs. He's not promised to give or answer this, this particular promise to those that, people that have rejected his son. This is only for believers, for those who are in Jesus Christ. And so he says this, if you're one of my kids, if you're one of my children, if you're one that holds to me as your Lord and Savior, I promise to meet all your needs. Now the big question when God states a promise like that, when he's that clear in the scripture with that, where he's not just kind of hedging his bets and he's stating a fact, is do you believe him or will you believe him with your life? And this is true in all the different fears that we have today. We're looking at finances. So do you believe him in this area of finances? Do you believe him more than your checkbook? Do you believe him more than your pension? Do you believe his words when he states them? 
But you hear a promise like that, and to be honest, it wouldn't be weird if you started thinking, well, then how come I have financial needs? Or how come I know other Christians who have financial needs? Did God fail? Did he lie? Did he exaggerate? No, no, and no. See, with every promise that God gives, there's always a premise in Scripture. There are conditions, there are requirements to the meaning of that promise. There are things God says, I'll do my part, which is the lion's share, to be honest. And he says, and I want you to do your part. I'll give you just the, the simplest one. He says, I would love to forgive you. I would love to, to, to reconcile the relationship that was broken between, between you and, and my father. I would love to take you to heaven. And what's the precondition? That you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We are saved by grace through faith. Faith is always the precondition. Do you trust what it is that God is sharing with you? Do you trust his words to be true for your life? Not just in salvation, but in all these things, even in the area of finances. Do you trust him when he says it? And to be honest, when we talk about finances and the fear, especially that goes alongside of that, it's hard, isn't it? Money has a root on us that that few other things seem to. But God says, trust me. And so he goes into this, there's preconditions also to this promise of finances, and God gives financial principles all the way through his word. There are many financial principles, way more than I can go into this morning. There's principles of saving, there's principles of spending, there's principles of giving, there's principles of investing, there's principles of using your resources. To be honest, Dave Ramsey's an awesome resource on this. Where does he get his principles? All the way through the Bible. They're just littered through the Bible. And so there's some conditions that we can look at this morning, though. I kind of boiled it all down to about four where God says, if you meet these conditions in your life, I will guarantee that I'll meet all your financial needs. Now, I don't know what stresses, what worries, what anxieties, what fears you have when it comes to the finances in your life, but wouldn't it be neat just to have peace in the midst of all that's going on? I was talking to my little daughter the other day. She was having a nightmare, and I said, why does it help when you run into mom and dad's room? I mean, what happens? And she says, I don't know. Go in there, and you're there. And so I just feel like everything's going to be okay, and I can go to sleep. Well, wouldn't it be cool if we trusted God the way my daughter trusts the power in our room, right? Where we could run into God and run into him and just say, God, I believe that you got me. I trust the promises that you've made. And now that I've been in connection with you through prayer, I, I, I know everything's going to be okay, and I can have that peace in the midst of the storm. And that's the peace that God desires for you to have. He doesn't want you to be freaking out. To be honest, it doesn't do any good anyway. He wants you to trust him with your life, with your finances, with your bad dreams, all of it. So it's a pretty big promise. And the guarantee is if you do these things, you'll never have to worry about finances again. doesn't mean you'll be a bajillionaire, but it means all your needs will be met. And that's exactly what God says. God has promised to meet all of your financial needs. So what are these preconditions? Well, let's start with the first one. If I ask for help. Sounds like a simple one, and I guess the only good thing about a crisis is that it makes this one a little bit easier in our life. When things are falling apart, when things look scary, when we look at our stocks go up and down, all of the different things, we can have peace because we know that God's got us, and so we cry out for help. God, remember when you said that you had us, right? In James 4, 2, it says, you do not have because you do not ask God, and I think that's a pretty clear thing. God's waiting for us to ask. God never shuts his storehouses until we shut our mouths. He wants to help, but the problem is, to be honest, is that we don't ask very much, is it? Do we? I mean, I know some of you are prayer warriors. 
But to be honest, if you have an implication of Christians in America right now, one of the things that we are weakest at is praying about stuff, going to God about stuff. It seems like he's always our last resort. He's the one we go to when we need the Hail Mary. We don't involve him in our decisions. We don't involve him in the processes. We worry and we get anxious and we stress and we get fearful and waste hours and hours of each day just doing that instead of going to him in prayer. It doesn't make any sense. But, you know, everybody else in the other services, that's what they're doing. Not you guys, though. You're amazing, right? Okay, so ask for help. I'll give you an example of that. Last time you bought a car, did you ask God for it or did you just go out and buy it? That's a fair question, right? My, my guess is you probably just went out and bought it. You didn't ask for him at all. You didn't involve him in the process at all. You didn't even ask him if he had any wisdom on the loan you should take or whatever it might be. You just went out and bought it. But Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Hear that? Ask, seek, knock. Take the first letters of each of those words. What does it spell? Ask. Ask, seek, knock. God is saying it in three ways. He says, I want you to get the message. Over 20 times in the New Testament alone, God says, ask. I want you to ask. And one of the reasons we don't see more miracles in our life right now is because we don't ask. You want to see God work more in your life? He says, start asking. And be blown away and amazed by the way he responds. Here's a spiritual law of the universe. God says this, before you pay for it, pray for it. Stop and ask God. Give God a chance to give it to you before you just go out and charge it. You know, I don't know if you guys tithe, but God promises all sorts of blessings in response to that. And I've been blown away over the years by how God just provides stuff when we didn't have the money. I remember one time we just paid off Best Car. It just got the last payment and our AC went out. And he'd say, well, that isn't very cool. No, we, we didn't have the money to pay for the AC. We didn't have the money for a new AC unit at all. But we had just paid off the car. And that's when God allowed the AC to go out. All the way through our lives, we've seen one miracle after another miracle after another miracle of God coming through in ways that we just, we, it blows us away. And my prayer is that you would experience those same kinds of things. And so God says, ask. You know, here's an indictment a little bit. I think more of us trust our charge card more than we trust Jesus Christ. Right? You know, I'm going to live within my means even if I have to charge it. I just talked a little bit about the, the doubling of debt, right, in our, in our country over the last eight weeks. But God says, no, 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 ask me first. Ask me for things. Before you pay for it, pray for it. And you start thinking, why does God want me to ask? Because he's a loving dad. And loving dads love to give good gifts to their kids. I know I do. I love giving stuff to my kids. I love to see that smile on their face. I, I love to bring joy to their lives. It's one of the reasons I love Christmas so much, because I get so geeked out. So in John 16, 24, Jesus is talking, and he says this. You've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy will be the fullest possible joy. So why does God want me to ask? So that he can give. And why does he want to give? So that I can receive. And why does he want me to receive? So that I can be full of joy. I'm going to give you an example of this. You know, we just talked about so many of the, the headlines that are out there that are scary to be honest, financially, in different ways. We, we talked about the, the 20% of the one out of five churches, even in our church body, that are going to be closing their doors. But you know what's crazy about this time for St. Mark? 
He has blessed us powerfully. You guys are crushing it. I mean, he's doing extraordinary. We're in a better place financially this year than we were last year at this time. And by the way, even though the preschool's been closed, so are they. And, and even though Holy Cross, I mean, they got the PPP in and it's allowed them to move forward. They're in a better position financially than they were last year at this time as well. I mean, at the whole beginning of this whole thing, I prayed. I started praying for the church and, and for Holy Cross as well. Take care of us, protect us, guide us. And I know I'm not the only one that's been praying that, but God has. And you know what the result of that has been? I'm joyful about it. I'm excited about it. I want to tell everybody how amazing God is in this place. And I'm so proud of you guys for letting him work in your lives. It's brought joy. And you know why God wants us to have joy? Because it's a powerful testimony for the love of God, the powerful testimony for Jesus Christ. You know what's not a powerful testimony for Jesus Christ? Sourpuss Christians, right? That are always doom and gloom and always saying how everything's horrible and all that kind of stuff. They're a horrible testimony, but joy is an amazing testimony. And if you pray as much about your finances as you worry about them, I promise you, here's the net result. You have a whole lot less to worry about. So God says, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you to ask me. Precondition number one. Let's go to another one. If you'll learn to be content. Now, I know that's the six-letter swear word in our country because we live in a very materialistic culture. What do you mean content? I don't want to be content. God says, I want you to learn contentment. Why? Because God's way more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. He wants me to grow up. He wants you to grow up. He wants us to mature and be like Jesus. In other words, he wants us to trust him. And when we're trusting, and we can be a lot more content. Like my daughter, when she goes into our room in the middle of the night, he's not just interested in making life easy for me. He's watching my attitude. Do I trust him, even in the hard times? Now, contrast that to if I bought into a system where I think having more will make me more happy, or if I just intend to use my wealth selfishly all on myself, or if I tend to think about things more than I think about God, why in the world would God aid my addiction? I'm pretty convinced that's why I haven't won the lottery yet, you know, because when I'm thinking about how to spend the lottery, yeah, I give him 10% of the 500 bajillion dollars, right? Why am I only, so I should, why is it 10%? Why am I not giving him 50% or 90%? I mean, it's so much money, I couldn't spend it anyway. Why would he feed my addiction? God's watching us. In 1 Timothy 6, it says, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. We were looking at baby pictures earlier this week, and it's just true. Babies don't come in the world with a whole lot, right? They don't come in with cigars and cars and stuff like that. They just come in with a little umbilical cord, and to be honest, that gets cut pretty quick, right? One time that was so quick, the doctor tricked me into doing it, and I didn't even know it. I was like, oh, dear, that's, I don't want to do that again, you know, but, but it, that's it. And when they die at the funeral, have you ever noticed they don't take a whole lot out either? There's not a U-Haul being buried with them usually. That can't imagine what that plot would cost. So there are things that we have on this earth, they're kind of loners. You know, for the 80 so years that we're here, God says you can use them while you're here, have fun with them while you're here, enjoy them while you're here. But he says don't make those the most important things of your life because the most important things of your life aren't things. It's God, isn't it? It's others. People that you're going to see in heaven, but it's not the things. So how do you learn to be content? Because this is the second requirement of God working in your life in this area. You learn contentment then by stopping the things that cause discontent. And the number one thing that causes discontent is comparing. Comparing causes discontentment every single time. 
Unless by just the fact that you're a little bit weirder, you're comparing how much you've got to somebody else, and then maybe you feel grateful. That would be good. But God says in, the, in his word in Ephesians that it's stupid to compare yourself. And yet we do all the time, don't we? We compare our houses, we compare our clothes, we compare our cars. <laughs> My daughter was comparing with her friend just the other day how much money they had saved up for college. She asked me how much. I said, $3.95. I think maybe the other girl won. I don't know. I bought a computer the other, last year, and I was all geeked up about it and excited about it, but I was just looking at the new magazine. I'm like, oh, I wanted that, you know? Or how about when you got a, a car? Think about the last new car that you got. You were so excited about it, weren't you? I mean, you drove it. If it was a brand new car, the smell of the car, you just got all geeked up. You, you parked five spaces away from everybody because you didn't want it to get dinged. I mean, you, it was just so cool. But then all of a sudden, the new model came out and had a wing ding on it. Boy, and you had to have one of those wing dings. I mean, life isn't worth living without a wing ding. In fact, all the advertisements are telling you that life is not worth living without a wing ding. What are you going to do without a wing ding? We compare. And we're constantly comparing. But that comparing causes discontentment in our life. And that discontentment, God says, kind of ruins the way you look at things. God says, why in the world would I give you wealth, right, if you can't handle what I put in front of you already? Here's God's essentially his question to us as he looks at us in this life when it comes to our wealth. Can I trust giving you wealth to use it in the way that I want you to use it? As you look at the things that God has given you, and by the way, if you compare yourself to the world, we're, we're doing pretty well in America, right? We, uh, even the, 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 the most poor in America are the top, in the top, I think, 10% of the world's wealth, right? Just because of the way we provide for, the, for those people in our society. If you own a car, you're in the top 10% of the world. Some of these 15%, I forget the percentages now. But I, I went to Honduras one time on a, a dental trip, and there was people living in cardboard boxes on the side of the road, it's a little different bottom than even the poor in our society today. So when you look at your wealth and God asks you the question, are you doing with it what I've called you to do with it? Right? Are you content with what I've given you? Are you using it for the kingdom? Are you blessing other people's lives? Are you using it as, not, as if it's the main thing, but a means to the main thing, which is me, which is others in your life? Are you doing what I've called you to do? Have you learned contentment? Have you learned to put first things first in your life? So just realize that one of God's goals as he walks you through this life is to learn that contentment in your life. And I don't know why it is that God has chosen to use money as the acid test of our faith. I think maybe it's because we spend our entire lives trying to make it, earn it, save it, spend it, use it, and think about it. In fact, we think about it so much that it causes us to have nightmares. Sometimes it causes us to fear, have anxiety when we don't have enough of it. So God chooses to use finances as the acid test of how much do you really trust him? Because if you truly trusted his words that I will provide for all your needs, what are you worrying so much about the finances for in your life? Worrying doesn't do any good anyway. Right? In fact, we have a, when we have a clearer mind, we tend to make better decisions. What are you worried about, he says. And if you don't learn contentment, God's promises, you probably struggle with happiness your whole life because you'll always be wanting more goes on to another precondition, and it's this. If you practice giving in faith. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8, it says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Man, notice the promise there. 
This is the principle of, of sowing and reaping. This is a principle in the law of the, is a law of the universe, and it applies to everything in the universe. If you don't believe me, I'll give you some examples. If you sow criticism, what are you going to tend to receive in return? Criticism. If you sow kindness, I'm going to reap kindness. If I sow generosity, it's going to come back and I'm going to reap generosity. If I sow energy, I'm going to reap energy. Think about that one for a second. If I go to the gym and I totally wear myself out at the gym, just knock me out. I have no energy left. What's going to happen the next day? I'm going to have more energy, right? Because the way to get more energy is to expend more energy. How about giving blood? just reproduces itself. I go give blood and I get more in return. I keep getting more in return because it keeps reproducing over and over and over. It multiplies. So again, whatever you need more of, you give away. And this is true with your money too. It's true with just as it's true with everything else in your life. And I know mathematically it seems illogical that when I have a need, I should give it away, right? And maybe mathematically it is logical. And that's why it requires faith. God says, my ways are not your ways. Can you accept that? Our focus is so often on the now. It's so often on the things. It's so often in the present. God says, I've got greater plans. My ways are not always your ways. But God is also the most generous giver in the universe. And he wants you to learn to be like him. He wants you to learn to trust him when he says, I've got you. And one of his number one characteristics is that he's a giver, right? God so loved the world that he gave us his son. So God wants you to learn to be generous just like he was. Because if you trust him and you trust that he's got you, then you can use some of that to bless other people in your life, bless the kingdom. And if you don't learn to be generous, if you don't learn to give, if you're stingy, miserly, always worrying about what you've got rather than giving it away, you'll never be like Christ, he says. And when the God in the world, uh, God set up the universe, he said, I'll reward my kids. Trust me. And isn't that the promise of heaven. If you trust me, if you believe in me, I'll give you heaven. I'll give you eternity with me. I will take away your sins. I will reconcile that relationship with God. I'll take care of your financial needs. I'll be there when you're scared. I'll walk with you every second of the day. I'll work all things for the good of those who love me. On and on and on his promises go, if you trust me, I will open up the storehouses of heaven and bless you in all sorts of ways. And so every time you're generous and give, it demonstrates that trust in the Lord because why else would you do it? God says, give and it will be given to you. And then he goes on with this last one, if I trust him with my life. That's the key piece in all of this, isn't it? In Matthew 6, it says, your heavenly father already knows perfectly well that you need what you need and he will give it to you if you give him first place in your life and live as he wants you to. When I was a kid, anytime I had a need, I would just go to my dad and ask him for money. And, you know, generally he would give me the money or he'd give me a chore to do so that I could get the money. Often it was yard work uh, that he didn't want to do, right? But I never really wondered about where dad got the money that he was giving me. I, I don't even think I worried about it once. It's his job. He's the dad. I was the kid. Kids spend, fathers make. It was the, sort of the deal we had, right? But some of us today, of course not in this room, but some of us today are living like we're spiritual orphans, as if we don't have a heavenly father. But God says, your heavenly Father already knows what you need. I mean, he walks with us as we go through life. Do you think he saw the coronavirus coming? Absolutely. Do you think he sees how we get out of it? Absolutely. Do you think he knew the strains and the pressures and the worries and the anxieties and the fears that you might have as you go through this? Absolutely. Do you think he has an answer for every single one of those because you love him, because he loves you? Absolutely. 
We're never alone. We're never by ourselves. We're never without recourse. We're never without God's resource. He's always with us. And the Father already knows what you need, so he says, ask me. And then he says, does God take care of the little birds? And he says, yes. And they don't worry, Jesus says. Nothing in creation worries except for human beings. Did you catch that? The only thing in all creation that worries is human beings. Everything else trusts the Heavenly Father to care for its needs. In Psalm 111, verse 5, it says, He gives food to those who trust Him. He never forgets His promises. Do you trust that? In the book of Romans, it tells us that God sent us His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us, to pay for your salvation. And if God loves you enough to give up His only Son, right, to die on the cross, to die brutally on the cross, we missed Easter, but it's still a Good Friday, but it still all happened, right? But if He loves you that much, don't you think He loves you enough to take care of your bills? Are the braces on your kids? Are the house payment that's coming up? God says, I've got you. Don't you realize that every other problem by comparison is minor? He solved the biggest problem you had, and that was to provide that reconciliation with God so that you could be with him in heaven. See, the bottom line is this. Am I going to trust God to do what he says he's going to do? That he will provide for me? Am I going to believe in him enough to do the things that he tells me to do? Kind of as, as evidence of that faith. See, the theme verse in this whole series has been Psalm 34, verse 4, where it says, I sought the Lord and he heard me, and he delivered me from all of my fears. God is always there present, caring for you, always there loving on you, always there reminding you of what it is that he has promised, of what it is he has promised to do. So the answers to all of your fears has always been a person. It's Jesus. And you need to put your hope in him, your trust in him. And when you're afraid in any area of your life, it just means this, that you've forgotten what God is like. You've forgotten who he is. You've forgotten what he's promised to do. My prayer for you this morning is just simply this. No matter what your fear, finances may not be it, but that you never forget how much God loves you. And how much he's invested in you. How much he cares about you. And that he never fails on his promises. Truth is, you don't have to be afraid anymore. Because God's got you. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let us pray. God, we love you so much and we thank you for Jesus. And we just thank you today for reminding us that he's got us as we go through this life. We, we look at this, this financial word, world and, and there's so much uncertainty and it's so topsy-turvy and, and we're excited a little bit about the fact that we're opening back up. I mean, it's evidenced by the fact that we're here this morning and we're, we're loving that for our economy because we know that puts people back to work and it just starts to make things more certain or at least more countable. And so, Father, we just pray in the midst of this topsy-turvy, uncertain time that you would protect us from the coronavirus, I guess, first and foremost, from financial ruin, I guess, second, from any of the relational or the physical or, or, or the emotional stuff that's going on in our life, that you would remind us that no matter what comes, that you have an answer already in place. No matter what comes, that you are by our side working through every single situation. No matter what comes, you are still working those things out for our good. Help us trust those things more and more and more and more in the coming days and years. 
so that we can finally experience this peace, no matter what the area of our life, finally experience the peace that you talk about and start living a life without fear. And all God's people again said, amen.